Coming up on this week in Linux, Audacity released a big update. We also got some updates from a couple of ebook readers. In Distro News, we talk about a couple of distros we've never featured before. This week's hardware news features a couple of cool devices. Plasma Mobile released a roadmap this week. Then we will check out some Linux gaming and security news. All that and much more coming up. I'm Michael Tanel with Tux Digital, and this is your weekly source for Linux good news. This episode is brought to you by the Linux is Everywhere t-shirt. It's the shirt I made to celebrate the proliferation of Linux. The concept of the design has Tux blended into the background to convey the message, even if you aren't aware that Linux is there, it probably is. The shirt is available for shipping from North America and from Europe. Audacity 2.2 was released this week, and this week it came with the MIDI playback support, menu navigation improvements, and almost 200 bug fixes. But the most notable thing has to be that Audacity has finally started doing theming. Uh, it's They still need a little bit of work, but at least it is an improvement. So, you know, there's some weird box text box issues and select boxes they need to adjust those things but overall it looks pretty good so well in comparison to what it used to look like which is this it's it's a it's a nice improvement <laughs> caliber ebook reader was released this week for the new version and this new version has support for browser viewer customization through custom css better docx support and most notably, it now supports Amazon's all-new Kindle Oasis system. I don't really know what the Kindle Oasis system is right now, but it looks interesting, and especially if it's supported outside of Kindles. That's typically not something else that Amazon allows. Another ebook reader was, was had an update this week called Bookworm, and Bookworm is a simple, focused ebook reader in that it doesn't have a lot of bells and whistles, uh, but it has support for all the basics and core fundamentals of an ebook reader, such as EPUB and PDF files. It also supports comic book reader files, call, uh, some some of them anyway. It's the the sp main two are CBR and CBZs. And this week they also released a new version that supports flatback flat packs. Did I say flatback the first time? I don't know flat packs. So that's nice. It makes it easier to use these, and you know. Universal app formats, whichever one you use, thank you for using them. That's to all developers, really. This week we saw a release for Ramroot 1.1.1. This is a project that creates a custom MK init CPIO hook that completely loads the root and the boot file system into RAM during the interim FS boot stage. Basically, it allows you to run a Linux, any Linux system entirely from RAM. It's specifically made for Arch Linux, though, so the source could be modified to use essentially for any Linux, but this particular utilization is for Arch Linux. So effectively, you have a 100% Arch Linux ran in your RAM. Ran in your RAM. <laughs> Plasma 5.11.2 and Latte Doc 0.7.1 are now available in Kubuntu 17.10 via backports. This is the first introduction of LatteDoc, I'm pretty sure, for Kubuntu. And it is also an introduction for the Plasma Vault. So if you're interested in checking those out, give it, uh, Ubuntu 17.10 a try for that. 
and you need the back ports are available via PPA. 4M Linux 23 had a release this week as they've been working on it for the past couple of months or so, but it's now finally labeled as stable. Uh, 4M Linux is an independent distro, you know, based on nothing, so it's uh, from scratch. It's they, the interesting thing that comes with this release is that they've added support for in their installer to install 4M Linux with a lot of various different types of file systems. So the expected extended 2, 3, and 4 are there, but it also has ButterFS, F, F, XFS, JFS, and many more, like even RiserFS. Also in this version is out-of-the-box support for RAID, SCSI, and LVM devices. Open Indiana 2017.10 was released this week. The code name or branch name is Hipster. So that's interesting, <laughs> a way to approach it. Uh, Open Indiana is a fork of Open Solaris. And it has the latest Xorg server of 1.19.5, the latest Mate desktop version of 1.18. And they're currently deprecating GNOME 2 packages. So it seems like they're kind of a little behind, but maybe that's just the perception of the fact that they still have GNOME 2 packages. I don't know. Maybe they just have like a longer support cycle that they allow people to keep using certain things. I don't know. But as I said, that Open Indiana is a fork of Open Solaris. Oracle discontinued Open Solaris uh, a couple years ago, and it was like, um, actually, I don't know if it was a couple years ago. Anyway, Oracle discontinued Open Solaris, and during that time, Open Indiana decided to create a, was, was created as a fork of Open Solaris to keep that process going. And you may have heard of that Oracle is is discontinuing a lot of things and you may be worried about VirtualBox for example because Oracle makes VirtualBox now and I just want to let you know that you don't have to worry about that mainly because based on their track record Oracle is just working alphabetically so there's probably a lot of time from until they get to V. Zorin OS 12 passes 1 million downloads this week, the Zorin team announced that after a year for after the initial release of Zorin, Zorin OS 12, they have now really reached over 1 million downloads, 60% of which are from Windows and Mac users. So that's a good sign. And they're also, as well as working on the new version of Zorin, they're also working on a new tool for workstation development. And to be more specific about what that means, it's not really like a workstation as in like enterprise. It's just a, a tool to deploy to, to deploy Zorin more easily in like repetitive things. So you could do that in like a school or a company or even in like private setups if you wanted to. The PyTac is a Raspberry Pi Zero W computer in a Tic Tac box. Yeah, it's it's a Tic Tac box that they converted into a Raspberry Pi case using the Raspberry Pi 0W. The it, the PyTac is also is running Raspbian Linux and it has hardware buttons for power and also like a hard kill switch for the power as well. And as you can see in the screenshot right now that there is a like a USB port right here and this is actually a slider. So they built a retractable USB port and you can see it here retracted. They also included a display on the side of the box, like right here. 
So this is really interesting. So it's super small. And when like I, you could come up with like tons of things to do with it, especially with that, that display. So you can make it like a, a headless device of like an, a, the thing that guy said he was going to use it for and uh, wi a Wi-Fi, like a hotspot type thing. So he could have, he, he okay, here's, I remember now what he said. He had a, it's a Wi-Fi hotspot that he can connect devices to and have stuff like a website locally stored on it that can then be tested on various different computers for deployment, but de basically deployment testing. And also, just to be clear, if you're curious, this type of Tic Tacs that came in it are the orange Tic Tacs. That's very important. Before I move on from the PyTac, I wanted to make a quick note uh, mention that the PyTac is not actually available for purchase or anything. It's just someone a hobbyist thing that someone made, and it's not complete yet. But it is designed so that you can do it yourself if you want to, because he's creating like a tutorial with how the code is built and everything. So if you do want to do this, uh, you could check out this the link in the show notes that gives you like all the parts list and everything that he used to make it. Fingbox is a home network security system that was crowdfunded about a year ago on Indiegogo. It basically watches over your network to detect intruders, block devices, and analyze the quality of your Wi-Fi internet connection. You may have heard of them before because there's, there's an actual application on iOS and Android called Fing, and it's a it's a pinging system to check like your Wi-Fi like your Wi-Fi signal and to see how well it is and how and like if you should switch to a different uh, branch or wireless band or something like that. So they decided to jump over to making devices because they they took the same kind of thing they did with the app and built a hardware hardware device for it to you know have it on both ends rather than just testing and also can like detect and make actions based on it. They got 20,000 backers and 1.6 millions from the, the crowdfunding. So what's really cool about this is this is one of those devices that was crowdfunded. And before they made it like available, they've already given all of the devices to all the backers. Like So every backer has already received their device, and now it is available for anyone to purchase. The reason why it's on this show is because it is powered by Ubuntu and Ubuntu Snappy. So the the really cool thing about it is that it's one of the few IoT devices that will actually upgrade because it runs a snappy. So they they have a system built into it that has easily remote upgrades. So as soon as it's connected to the Wi-Fi, you can it'll automatically update itself, you know, to to make sure that any kind of security things or anything that's patched will be directly sent to the device and you don't really have to do anything. You you have to give it access to do so. So it doesn't automatically do it anyway, but you once you give it access to do it, it will just automatically upgrade on its own. So that's pretty awesome. And that's you know, another great thing that Snappy can do. So yeah, if you're interested, it's a one twenty one twenty nine USD. This episode of This Week in Linux is also sponsored by the Tux Digital Community, or to be more specific, the patrons who help with the expenses of the show in the Tux Digital Patreon. If you'd like to help out with the show, you can visit patreon.com slash tuxdigital and check it out. If, if you don't think you can contribute much, just even a dollar is amazing to me. So, like, I'm appreciative of any kind of donation. Of it. Like, whether you just, you 
subscribe to the Patreon on a consistent basis or just buy the t-shirt. Either way, I really appreciate it. Any support is amazing. Brisk Menu 0.5 was released this week, as well as we got some updates for Solus 4. With Brisk Menu, Favorites category has, has been added so that you can do app, you can pin applications to your favorites. You can also pin applications to the desktop if you'd like to do that as well. Uh, in addition to that, they also added jump list support so you can have actions that you can you make decisions on the application like opening a private window or a regular window for Firefox, for example. They've improved the modularity, making it so that only the applet component utilizes the Mate panel applet APIs and everything else uses independent modules so that you can, you know, they can make it more streamlined and more efficient. Also this week, Solus announced that there the updates and news for the upcoming Solus 4. Budgie 10 will get will get a quality of life update, which means face uh, fixes for their bugs, bug issues and maintenance stuff. They're also but they're really going to have like this big update for the Mate edition because it's it's been a little bit lacking in the past couple releases in terms of like the GNOME and the budgie releases. So they're going to bring that up to like on par with the, or the rest of the offerings. They're also doing a new release for the Software Center, which gets bug improvements like bug fixes and things, but it's also adding SnapD support so you can install snaps directly from the Software Center. There's also going to be Wayland support, and the, the Wayland support is going to be coming back. They're not, they haven't really said when it's going to come back, but it is coming back. Uh, they're also saying that the, the issue is that right now NVIDIA has some issues with... Basically, NVIDIA has pro has Wayland problems. And it's not necessarily Solus's fault. Most of these... Most distros have issues where if you are an NVIDIA user, you have to deal with some weird stuff in Wayland because uh, NVIDIA decided to not fully support all of the protocols of Wayland. And that... And they only... They, because it didn't... <laughs> work nicely with their proprietary software, I suppose. So they created their own thing called an EGL stream. And EGL streams are a replacement for something that's in the kernel so that they can use that instead of what's in the kernel. And unfortunately, this creates a lot of headaches for the developers. And some developers are very adamant about not touching it and refusing to make it work. Uh, for example, like uh, Kwin and Sway have already made announcements that they're not going to do it. Uh, but Solus has said that they're going to consider enabling support for EGL streams. So we'll see what happens there. The final thing that happened in Solus 4, or the announcement that they ha for they made for Solus 4, is that Budgie 11 will now gain concurrent development alongside the rest of the Solus packages and branches and stuff. This week there was an announcement from Canonical that the Canonical company is joining the GNOME Foundation Advisory Board. Essentially, what this board is for is to discuss the 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 things about what the direction of GNOME and the responses and how and feedback they get from users and things like that. So, Canonical joining the advisory board is like an, is just basically to show that they are very committed to the collaboration with GNOME to the point of like becoming a part of GNOME in a way. So, like that that's it's interesting. But also, I still I still think they should base Unity on Plasma. Speaking of which, if you haven't checked it out, there's a, there's a video that I made about Unity being built on Plasma and what could be awesome. Uh, there's a link, I'll put a link in the cards if you want to check that out. 
This week we saw an update from the Plasma Mobile team where they released a roadmap for Plasma Mobile. The reason they gave was that they noticed an increase in interest from Plasma for Plasma Mobile, including from hardware vendors. So they get they made this roadmap to explain it, well, what they're doing with it, and when they or how they expect the process to go. So they're going to do like these this this weird phase system, and I call it weird because it's named weird. Um, so first they're going to they're using something called the like their feature phone thing. So it's the prototype, which they already did, the feature phone, the basic smartphone, and the featured phone, featured smartphone. Sorry. See, that's a problem. Like, first off, I just want to go ahead and cover one thing. The feature phone term is a very bad term to have used because they essentially are using a term that already exists. And it might be confusing to some people as far as, like, searching, searchability and stuff. So this is a feature phone. And... Like, this is like, you know, the old flip phones, the old style whatever phones. Like, they're basically not smartphones. That's what a feature phone is a nice way of saying not a smartphone. So, it's just weird that they decided to use that term. That term. The, uh, the rest of it is they, uh, the part where it's actually interesting is about not, not the naming issues, but the first version, the feature phone version, or phase or whatever, will include, like, Basically, the core concepts of it. Making phone calls uh, using the address book, hardware functions like network connectivity, volume, screen, stuff like that. There's also going to be another phase where they're, they're adding extra features like um, being able to you know, use more, more powerful apps like a calendar and things. But the final phase, which is the interesting phase, is the featured smartphone phase. They're working... They haven't said for sure, they haven't confirmed it, absolutely, but they have said that they are considering to make support for Android apps inside of Plasma Mobile. So if that happens, that's going to be fantastic and remove all doubt or reason why anybody would want this. So I hope that happens, and best of luck to them. Either way, I'm going to probably use this phone anyway. If you, I mean, use this software. If you, if you give me a Librem 5 and put this on here, I'm good. This week we saw an update from the Mir project. Uh, they released 0.28.1, which includes a lot of bug fixes and includes Fedora support that we discussed last week that they were that they had announced for beta. So that was really quick. The definitely the most interesting thing about this update though is that Mir is look is moving to GitHub. Not I'm almost almost said looking to move, but they've they've already decided to move and everything is already in the process. So they're leaving Launchpad to work on Mir in GitHub. The reason they're doing it is they're going to they're they're trying to get it so more people are willing to contribute, and it, it's easier to make uh, submit bug issues and things like that. Because GitHub is just is an easier platform to use if you've never given Launchpad like a try as far as like bug reporting or developing code or anything or submitting anything like that. Um. I can go ahead and tell you that Launchpad's kind of bad. Launchpad has the best translation tools of all I've tried, but it it is very cumbersome as far as just bug reporting and stuff like that. 
So this is a fantastic decision to move to GitHub because it makes it a lot easier for a lot of people to contribute both in code and in bug reports. So good good decision, and we'll see what happens. I hope people look. Oh, by the way, if you don't are not sure why Mir is still in the news, it's because Mir is in the process of becoming like a compositor for Wayland. And also, it's still being used for Internet of Things devices for Canonical. So it's not anywhere near gone. And in fact, might even be more useful now than it used to be. This week, we saw the first Vulcan-only game release with F1 2017 from Feral Interactive. It currently only supports AMD and NVIDIA at the moment because of the Vulcan-only aspect. We've been talking about F1 2017 for the past couple weeks, actually. Um, that's because... The game looks pretty fantastic, and the gameplay even takes like a realism approach. So it's, I, I'm really happy to see that a, a a triple A title like this is coming to Linux. So I definitely want to give a, a, a attention to the Feral Interactive team for you know making such a a cool big title on Linux. The because it's a triple A title though, it's going to cost fifty nine ninety nine or sixty bucks. So like a regular average AAA title game. So that makes sense. And I definitely want, I want to check it out. If you're interested in it, dev, uh, check the show notes for a link. If realism isn't your kind of thing for a race game, then check out Super Tuxcart, because they just had a release this week for the RC version of their latest release of Super Tuxcart, which is going to have a DLC for Halloween tracks, um, including... Like a, a a man like a spooky mansion and like the pumpkin patch match uh, map, so that's pretty cool. They're also introducing some new character models, including the Kiki from the Krita project. And the biggest news for this particular release, it has to be that you can now play Super Tux Kart on your Android device. The timing of that video was perfect. The Android version of Super Tux Kart is essentially the same. Unfortunately, it's not been modified that well to, to for the gameplay. There's a little bit of some quirkiness for the gameplay. Uh, hopefully, they'll fix that in the release, an update release. Uh, and also, the menus, uh, the buttons on the menus are kind of small. It's because it, it basically looks like they just took the existing game and ported it. So all like all the menus and navigations are they're similar in every way. And on a, with the mouse, moving things on a mouse is not a big deal at all because it doesn't matter the size because you can just click, like, precision clicking. Whereas when you want to close out to the main menu, there are three buttons that are right, right next to each other, and it's really hard. It's sometimes a little difficult, and you have to pay extra attention to click the right one. So hopefully they make some updates to that and get it improved. And then they're also working on making support for Steam so that's pretty cool, and I can't wait for that because maybe they'll introduce Steam, like Steam Party and multiplayer things. So I look forward to that. This week, you can get the Steam Link on sale for $15. The Steam Link is a device that allows you to stream your playing from an, uh, your PC to a TV, for example. And it's pretty cool. It's it's only on sale for another couple days. Actually, I think it's the, the November, November 6th, though. So uh, there's no actual time stamp yet, so we won't know exactly when it's going to go off, off sale. But if you missed the sale for this week, 
uh, maybe check back for the Black Friday sale that is going to happen later this month. It might be back on sale at that, that point, too. Next up in the show is Valve has announced that the, well, not really announced, but the, 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 the stats for October 17th Linux market share is down to 0.35%. And I've covered this particular topic in a previous episode, but I wasn't really clear, I think, because I went back and rewatched it before I decided to put this in the show. Essentially what it is is this this, this number means absolutely nothing. Like, it, it has nothing to do with Steam, you know, like how many people play Steam on Linux or anything. Because Valve requests the hardware information periodically not on like consistent monthly basis. So the amount of the, the data that they have, this basically this hardware data is worthless because they don't ask for the, the data from every player. They randomly ask you, and in, in my case, last, last episode, or the last episode that this topic was on, I discussed how I've only been asked one time in the past like 10 years of playing games on Linux well, technically, 10 years total playing games on Steam and 6 years of playing games on Linux, that Steam's only asked me to give my hardware information one time. So they would only know that I was using Linux one time over the entire course of you know, my, my gaming on Steam. So this is, this, the, the numbers that they offer are essentially just worthless because they haven't re asked me what hardware I use in the entire time this year. So the odds that they ask a lot of people to actually have correct information is not very high. They ask Windows users quite a bit, but they rarely ask Linux users. So that's why the number is very low, because they don't request the information, and therefore the data isn't moving at all. If anything, they're, people might not be playing more. Or, for example, what if someone is a Linux gamer and they turn on Windows once, and they they play a game on Windows once, and then they get their hardware request then, and then they're counted as a Windows user. So, you know, it's it's just problematic, and Valve really needs to fix that system. This week we saw a release for SSH Guard 2.1. This is an a intrusion prevention utility. What can, this is if you ever heard of fail to ban, this is basically what the same thing. They is a competitor alternative to fail to ban. It detects people trying to get into your network and automatically like catches them and bans them based on that. Uh, what they added this release was they added block the blocking an attacker's subnet, not just the main gateway. So that's cool. Um, but there's two things that I want to address on this one because one, they added a really awesome feature called SSH Guard Remote Service, and what this allows you to do is automate the blocking and the logs between multiple systems. So if one system catches something and blocks it, it will block. A, you can have that same data shared across to another system using SSH Guard Remote. So you can have one block apply to all of your systems all at once. That is awesome. The other thing they did was they added a feature for WordPress service. It's the WordPress service, which lets SSH Guard detect and thwart brute force login attacks against a WordPress system or WordPress blog site. Uh, it's funny, the fact that that has to be done, because WordPress is um, bad. Speaking of WordPress being bad, there was a, a big update this week 
that WordPress announced a patch for a big vulnerability. So if you do use WordPress, you should absolutely update as soon as possible because it's, it's a problem. Take a check out SSH Guard if you haven't, and let me know what you think. Next up in the show is the U.S. Deputy Attorney General has asked companies to keep plain text copies of all messages sent back and forth. This is not really Linux related, it's more security related, but it's it's just it's just so silly that I wanted to just address it because it just shows how little technology information people have in government these days. So here's what this guy said. I, I, I recognize encryption serves a valuable purpose. And then dot, dot, dot. I simply maintain that companies should retain the capability to provide the government unencrypted copies of communications and data stored on devices when a court orders them to do so. So what he's basically saying is, I, I realize that encryption serves a very valuable purpose, but could you not use it? Because reasons? Not having copies that are unencrypted defeats the point of encryption, sir. Anyway, so yeah, that's not going to happen because that's ridiculous and no company's going to want One, it's pointless to make encryption anyway at that point. And two, the amount of like server and management that requires and like storage, data storage and everything that have to do all that is so absurd that they're going to fight that forever. Like that's not going to happen. Mainly because whether they care about your privacy or not, they do care about spending money. Thanks for watching this episode of This Week in Linux. If you like what I do here on the show, please hit that like button and be sure to subscribe. If you'd like to support the channel, we have a Patreon at patreon.com slash touchdigital. Or you can order the Linux is Everywhere t-shirt by going to touchdigital.com slash Linux is Everywhere. Just a reminder, the show is live every Saturday at 1 p.m. Eastern. So join us in the live chat room to discuss all the latest Linux, latest Linux news each week. Thanks for watching. I'm Michael Tonell with Touch Digital. And as always, keep using, learning, and enjoying Linux.